climate crises and the famous quote, if you have a car in the living room and it's on, you wouldn't start to sort of look at how can I improve the ventilation in here, you would stop the freaking car. Yep. So here we are. The car Stopping the car. Stopped. We have an elephant car in the living room. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, so topic for the day is kind of uh, vaguely corona-ish. Um, and uh, disclaimer from, you know, minute one, uh, it's really, really fucking serious. Mm. It's really, really serious. And, um, you know... Whatever else um, there is to say, probably before there is anything to say, it needs to be said. Geez, people have actually taken a big hit here. Mm. Families have lost members, loved ones, partners, all these kind of things, you know. Um, so it's, it's, it's a pretty serious situation. Um, and it's been really, really intriguing for me, uh, the, the unfolding process. What happens, uh, you know, how people talk about it, what are the, the personal experiences we have, how close we come to these things, um, in what forms, you know. Um, and... Uh, I mean, there's a kind of a, an entry point for me. My my 17-year-old son said to me last week, uh, you know, um, I thought I'd just mention that uh, there hasn't been anything about the climate crisis in the newspapers for weeks. He said that. He said that, yeah. And I thought, that's really fantastic. You know, it's, it's great because here's, uh, uh, you know, that generation where... Um, there's a whole cohort of uh, uh, of people, of intelligences. There's a collective intelligence that looks at the world with different eyes, that sees different frequencies, that experiences different sounds, different uh, 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 different vibrations. You know, and um, so the thing he, he he mentions is, oh yeah, um, you know, there's no there's no climate reporting happening. Um, and from a, if you could, if you could be reductionistic in these moments of extreme uh, complexity, the thing I would like to say is, this is what climate change mitigation looks like. When you just stop everything, you know, and I, and I want to come back to that later on, but this for me like, um, if you're wondering what it would be like, well, this is what it's like, you know, this is when the fucking flights stop and all the, the holidays, the absurd, unnecessary shit that everybody just cannot live without, when that stops, this is like the surface of that, you know. Um, this is where you... Well, I mean, flights, not only are flights cancelled, the, the airlines are, are going bankrupt. They're going bankrupt, exactly. I mean, Norwegian's, Norwegian's um, stock went down 79% in the last week. Yeah. 79. 
percent, yeah. And at the same time, NASA uh, is, um, I don't know what we should say, happy to report that uh, the pollution levels on the planet just plummet dramatically uh, because uh, uh, factories close in China, um, you know, because uh, there are far fewer flights, etc., etc. Um, and these are, you know, I sort of you can possibly throw out a few of the the gems that occur for me in this process, um, the the surface stuff, you know, the stuff that's that's um, that's part of the the sort of uh, uh, broad um, what would one call it? The kind of a the 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 broad canvas. I mean, one of the things that's been amazing to look at is how, uh, uh, regardless of of what languages you're reading or whatever. So now I'm talking about, for me, I look at, at, at um, the, the national newspapers in Sweden, in Denmark, um, in South Africa, in the UK, in Australia, uh, in the US, um, all the languages that I kind of manage. And it's astonishing that in a series of four or five newspapers, you can in real time read totally contradictory information from one to the next. It's amazing stuff, you know. Um, and you sort of think, well, wow, that's really interesting. I mean, in any other kind of situation, if you um, said uh, there's a storm warning and the next paper says it's sunny, um, you know, by the next day, people will say, geez, that's, that's really unfortunate, you know, your credibility is kind of shot. But things are moving so fast here that nobody really picks up on this stuff. It just sort of floats by <laughs> because, oh, fuck, the tsunami is coming. Um, so suddenly it doesn't really matter which be beach it's going to hit or um, if it was wrong that there's some island that magically is going to be saved. Um, because there was just one way to fill the paper, to get some attention, to, um, to get few, uh, more readers. The other thing that's really interesting is that there is one subject that is on page one every single fucking day, and that is money. Every single day, in some or other form. What are you going to do with your pension? Should you sell your stocks? Right now is a good time to buy. Um, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, what a, what a fantastic way to deal with the extinction-level threat is kind of how are we going to make money out of this? And they're so breathtakingly inappropriate and at the same time so uh, uh, congruent, so consistent with the, the, the culture that we live in um, that it's almost like, um, you know, you can feel like you're the only person that's, that's noticing the elephant car in the room. Because it cannot possibly have sort of not been noticed by everybody that, um, yeah, there's been some pretty serious, like, uh, 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 um, what would one say, uh, uh, 
hypersystem events happening in the last while, uh, just this year, uh, huge fires, um, plagues of, of locusts. Uh, oh, what? Was there a locust plague? It, yeah, I know. What the idea. fuck is a locust? What is it? What is that? Is something on, on, on the internet? Is it social media? Um, you know, it's um, well. I mean, you know, uh, Python is a coding language. Locust could be something similar. Who knows? Uh, and then we get this uh, this little COVID blip, you know, and it doesn't take very long, and people are saying, "Oh, um, this is a black swan event." Really? funny, but the last time I kind of caught up with black swan, the idea was that because there are no black swans, that when it happens, it's because there's only one in like, you know, at least 100 years, if not 500 years or whatever. And uh, I mean, the book is kind of a big deal and popularizes it and he explains himself really well and he explains how uh, there's kind of a, a wave of black swan events so that we, we lose uh, perspective on what the value or what the the actual um, the actual quality of these things is, uh, but nonetheless they are so unique black swans that they they change the course of 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 history. They change the course of events in really really significant ways. Now that's one thing. But to say that, sorry, can I just yeah just pause? Yeah. Uh, what book? Who uh, wrote what book? Nicholas Taleb. Um, he wrote this book called, uh, yeah, it's called Black Swan, Black I think. Black Swans, I think. Um, and if you're going to get... Is it get... The, the one that got to a movie afterwards? No, I don't think so. No, not the no, same? No, not okay. the same, no. This is, Just this to clarify, is not a, sorry. Um, it's, not a, it's not a movie book. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the basic thesis of, of uh, the book is, um, and, and I hope people will kind of... Uh, disagree and correct me, but the basic thesis is that if you look at something like a plow, um, at the time when people developed a plow, there'd never ever been anything vaguely like it. Um, but the, the application of the insight has such dramatic influences in so many fields across uh, uh, the spectrum of, of human development that it stands out in history as a really, really remarkable thing. It's a, it's a, it's a game changer. A black swan is a game changer. It's called a black swan because there are no black swans, there's only white swans. So if there happen to be a black swan, it really is an anomaly that occurs. Um, I've know, seen one. Once, or two. once in you know, once in never kind of thing. So they have them in Cam They have them in Cambridge. They do occur, <laughs> but very, very, very. Unusual and really rare. Yeah. So another so, one would be the printing press. Yeah, that could be a, a good example. You know, um, so Taleb's just saying that in the twentieth century, uh, there are a series of these black swan events that come in a cluster, um, and that uh, it's 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 really not that easy to read. Um, a what they are because there's this cluster of amazing stuff. You know, there's all this technological development, the, the information and digital ages result in astonishing uh, uh, numbers of 
really unique inventions. Some of them just disappear, but the other ones become really, really interesting. So, I mean, I, I, I can't really quote from his book what he classes as, as, as black swans, but for example, for me, um, uh, uh, hypertext, HTTPS, the sort of basic uh, um, coding framework for the internet, um, this is stuff that, you know, for thousands of years, uh, there's been uh, a general acceptance that we will never, ever have a common language. Well, gee, suddenly everybody's on the net using exactly the same standards. Mm. Um, and that's really, really huge, you know. Uh, there's, there, there, there obviously are several other event, uh, uh, things to mention. But what comes out in the last few weeks is, is this idea that uh, COVID is a black swan. Um, and it's, it's not the point for me to, to lower uh, uh, the seriousness of, um, of, of, of the, the, the threat around COVID-19, but um, wasn't it that long ago that we did uh, swine influenza and SARS before that? Um, you know, um, and, and these actually come out of exactly the same stable of things. So why are we calling this a black swan? Um, well, possibly uh, because it really looks good in your headline, you know. I'm the guy that called COVID-19 the black swan. Um, but it kind of also, uh, it waters down um, the strength and coherence of uh, uh, the ideas that we have and affirms for me that our capacity to assess risk, the tools that we have to look at these kind of incidents is really, really limited. We have extremely limited, uh, uh, and, I'm, and I'm speaking sort of from the point of view of, of the public, I'm another one of these people that writes for a newspaper or whatever. Um, and even to a degree, some of the people that work for CDC um, or similar uh, uh, disease control centers, um, it's really quite obvious that our, our toolkit just isn't really up to the job. Because if it was, there would be a pretty coherent response. Mm. But there isn't. And if our, our, our capacities are not that evolved, and I think this is the stuff we were talking about at your, your apartment with David, um, we, uh, we have really, really a very, very limited sense of um, what the systemic implications are, what all the, the levels of complexity are of a so-called extinction level threat. So what's an extinction level threat? It's just, you know, um, something that happens. A tsunami, um, you know, is probably one of the closer uh, uh, examples we have or a really, really huge earthquake or both in combination as we saw. Um, but that result in extreme numbers of, of fatalities. Mm. <clears throat> and we know that uh, disease is probably 
the most serious extension level threat, although we probably don't know at which level it is the most, the most serious threat. So we don't know whether that threat exists in the food chain, whether it exists as uh, viruses that, that affect humans. Um, we, we really don't. We have some speculations, and there's a number of people that have amazingly insightful discussions around these things, but we do not have coherent responses within the human realm. So coherent response in the sense is there's uh, uh, this, uh, I don't know whether it's a, a myth or not, but um, the, the, the tsunami from 2004, was it? Um, it said that in, 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 in Thailand, uh, animals left uh, the areas affected by the tsunami um, you know, with, with almost a day before. Uh, human beings were standing on the beach saying, oh, wow, check this out. Yeah. The water's just like going out to sea, you know, completely fascinated and, and, and uh, yeah. And caught stupid. In, well, possibly <laughs> stupid, but kind of caught in the headlights, you know, like, uh, 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 like animals. They've never seen this thing before. They have no reference framework whatsoever. So... Well, let's just stand here and see what's going on, you know. And of course, what, what was going on is <laughs> really, really, really serious. Mm. And generally, we have a, a, a reference framework in which these serious things happen at one place. They don't happen everywhere at the same time. Now it is happening everywhere at the same time. And we don't have these parameters in place, you know. So you notice that, for example, the, the, the Swedish government doesn't follow the, the, the sort of um, protocol of everybody else where they shut their schools. And, 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 and this is really significant for me because it is so out of character for Swedishness um, that the government does the thing that is possibly really deeply the wisest thing to do. And they distribute power into local organizations and say, we would like you to act in an adult way when the time comes. We're not going to act like the only adult in the room and decide on your behalf because we understand that the context in which things occur is outside of our ability to foresee or control, and it's really not necessary for all schools to close, but it's going to be necessary for some schools to close. So we trust you, our elected uh, persons employed in local authorities, to make those decisions in a sensible way. This is very un-Swedish. It's like, wow, shit, really? Did they decide that? Mm -hmm. And they got so much flack from their neighbors in, in Norway and, 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 and Denmark who most commonly complain about how obsessed the Swedes are about control and rules, which, you know, may be quite uh, reasonable criticism. But right here, you know, when, when resources are down, values matter. <laughs> and what did, they, what did they do? They say, well, that might not be such a great idea 
to shut all the schools. It might make everybody feel kind of good as if someone's in control, but actually that's not really what gets us through here. And whether or not they made the right decision or not, I don't know. I mean, we don't know. We, we'll see. Um, but I think the, the, the thing that matters for me and in, in just at the surface level is here's a government that's saying, well, um, we have a nation of, uh, where are we now, 10 million people odd, um, out of which there are something like 6 million adults. I think it's going to be okay. We can trust these people to act in adult ways. Um, a very surprising move. It's like, that's a black swan. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> but it is just so unusual that, um, you know, for me it's, it's really worth mentioning. So back onto the, yeah, the scorecards. Fantastic scoreboards everywhere. It's like the, the new global sport. How many died today? Um, oh, geez. Um, that's been 800 new cases today. Uh, better close the borders. A uh, couple of hours later, um, borders now closing. Mm -hmm. The borders are closing? Really? How are they going to manage? Oh, uh, we forgot to say we're making exceptions for food, medicines, and essentials for industry. Did, did I get that right? You know, you sort of think, but um, really? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, what about the economy? It's the economy, stupid. Um, yeah. For me, the, 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 the process is like this, this, this weird... Um, mega light shining out from space. Um, have you ever seen these, uh, uh, um, these little kits that you get from the dentist, usually for kids? Uh, so you have to sort of, uh, I don't know, eat a sweetie or something, and then brush your teeth, and then everywhere where there's uh, uh, um, uh, bacteria or whatever, where you didn't clean properly, it like lights up, you know? <laughs> so you can really see where there's, uh, uh, what do they call it, um, what do, what's it called in English, caries? Um, caries practice or something like that. What are they called? That's uh, Swedish at least, that's what I learned. It's called... Tooth bugs! Yeah, caries and practice. and practice. Yeah. yeah, something yeah. like that. Carry, well, no. No, it's not called We've that. forgotten. Yeah, whatever. The mm. stuff that indicates stuff. that you're... You're going to get holes in your teeth, you know. Yeah. So th this is like sort of shining a light on our uh, uh, cultural bacteria. It's just eating away at us. And whether or not we're going to stop, well, that's kind of, um, that's going to be telling. But I think the message is stop, you know. There's a, there's a real uh, message that's... Stop whatever it is that you're doing. Just stop. Just stop. Don't take any more heroin. You know, don't buy another bottle of whiskey. Stop. But it's, but it's so good. And the answer is, the, the response is, 
But what about the economy? Well, the economy is what got you into this shit in the first place. So, um, you know, not stopping is like saying, uh, well, um, I can't stop taking heroin uh, because what about addiction? Sorry, ran that by me again. We're not going to stop because of the economy? That's like really weird, you know. I had a friend, this just reminds me of, of, I've seen a lot of fun memes and tweets about the coronavirus, but there was one friend who, who posted, um, all these people getting mad about uh, poor people stashing up on toilet paper, wait until they hear about what 1% of the population has done to, to all of the money for a very long time. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just perspective mm. on things. Because it's, I think it's really easy to say it's the economy that got us here. But that's standing from a standpoint where, where you already thought the economy was a bad idea, essentially. Um... And so changing that perspective, I, I, I don't know if this virus is going to help us at all in changing systems. Um, because it's a lot easier mentally to save something that you know than abandoning it altogether. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a it's a lot easier to bail banks out, yeah, like we did in '08, um, than to say, "Fuck you, we're gonna go with a, another solution here. Let's yeah. try something new." Well, I'm not. I, I don't really want to sort of nitpick it, but I don't agree with you with the bank thing. But another okay. example. Um, it comes up uh, just during the last two weeks, so in the middle of this corona crisis. Um, there's research published that um, researchers have successfully managed to manipulate uh, various grain cultivars to grow in salty soils because, gee, climate change is causing soils to become salty. That's a... A good example for me, yeah. Um, that there is a lot of focus on uh, how do we manipulate our way out of this? Mm. What technology is going to work? What technique is going to work? Um, this is kind of around that um, uh, uh, our, our lens theme of of um, of ego of of autonomous thinkers. You know that. Mm. This is not something that's happening to me. This is not an expression of my own being. This is an attack on my being. Um, and, well, I'm going to strategize my way out of it. And, well, sometimes some of those strategies work. They really do, uh, at least for a short space of time. And they, you know, sometimes people say to me, yeah, but, you know, 
you're uh, you're against innovation or you're into some sort of a, a primitivist uh, you know everything should go backwards and so on um, and it's not really the case I mean in in China in the midst of these these uh, situations you know one of the one of the difficulties in assessing these kind of problems I think is is that um, we've become so used to that all problems can be described, can be analyzed, et cetera, et cetera, that we haven't really allowed ourselves a conception of what it's like to encounter a problem that we really, really do not have any conceptual framework for. And, I mean, I read during the week, and I don't know that this actually is, is true, but somebody reported that in the United States, um, there is a total of one million hospital beds. Could that be true? I don't know, you know. But we do know that in any country you care to mention, um, the medical services are perfectly aware that they would be completely overrun by a pandemic. So, you know, uh, people try to say, give messages to say, don't come to the hospital, um, and so on and so on, um, for the regular stuff that you come to the hospital for. Because probably there isn't space, there isn't uh, the stuff available. If you think about something like, like uh, Corona, where you, when, when, when the situation is serious, um, you probably need uh, respiratory assistance so if it was that there's a million beds, well, there aren't a million respira respirators. Um, Not even close. No. So um, it starts to bring the, the thing into perspective. Um, and from an epidemiological level, um, the whole focus is to try and slow down uh, um, transmission mm. so that it changes it's not a, a, a huge one-off. It's like a, a manageable... Um, More slow burn. Yeah, like, a, you know, you, the, uh, you keep stacking up the, the sandbags um, because the water's rising and you hope that uh, the water doesn't get over the sandbag level, but you can keep stacking the sandbags. Mm. Um, and if everybody keeps stacking the sandbags, then... Um, possibly there's damage, but it's not catastrophic. But if there's no sandbags, well, then it's catastrophic from the first, you know, few hundred meters upstream. And all of these are, I think, like really great and brave responses. I was going to say, in, in China, they managed to kind of repurpose. Um, uh, technologies for scanning for the disease. So in in Sweden, there's a you know a big deal in the papers because, gee, there aren't enough testing kits because um, you got to have the right testing kit. Um, but in China, they they started to use uh, uh, these uh, scanners, CT scanners. Um, to just simply look at people's lungs, because if you've actually got the disease, you can see little dots in the lung, and you know that definitely this person is, is and, and this 
results in being able to scan 10 people, um, you know, uh, uh, an hour or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't take and you get a re immediate result. You get an immediate result. But this is like human innovation. It's totally fucking amazing. You know, it really is. It's like, it's so amazing. It's blinding. We can do anything. And mm. we don't sort of miss that, you know, the, the Apollo landing, the kind of um, computational ability that went into Apollo. Um, well, you know, it's not even sort of second grade uh, compared to the shit we're talking about. It just doesn't stand up to the complexity. It doesn't stand up to the problem. So what do we do, you know? Um, what do we do? And it's interesting that the, 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 the doing part, um, something has to be done, yeah? <laughs> Got to do something. Um, and governments buy themselves really uh, evidently a lot of cred by saying, well, we're closing all the borders and uh, everybody goes home. Um, and without question, it's really obvious from, from, from the situation in China that the decisions that the government made uh, really gave amazing results. They made the right decisions. Uh, they acted like the adult in the room. Um, and they didn't go on skiing holidays. Um, it's kind of like, why do people go on skiing holidays? Uh, well, that's also part of, of the Swedishness of it all. Yeah, they they had an interview with um, one of the biggest companies in Sweden offering Sweden or skiing holidays uh, called Ski Star, <clears throat> and the reporter asked, "Well, are are you gonna shut down? Or are you gonna you know do something about this?" Um, and the only response that they gave was, "Well, the government hasn't said anything yet." And, and the reporter actually said, well, are you guys going to make a decision? She was like, no, government hasn't said anything yet. And that was it. Mm. People that are company so closed everything in Norway. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel about shooting up in your room? Well, my mom hasn't complained. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Special stuff. So, I mean, for me, um, one of the ways in which I manage my own experiences with this is, is uh, through um, the, the, the process work model. Um, and process work is this idea from, from uh, Arnold Mandel. I think he published his first uh, kind of formal uh, uh, explication of it probably at the end of the 80s. Um, and it's a really interesting idea because uh, if you look at, at similar meta-theory developments, um, Mandel's really way ahead 30 years ago. He's already onto stuff that people are starting to describe now. Um, and he makes some really interesting uh, observations about uh, human psychology and human existence in general. And um, he's, 
his vision is one in which our conscious participation in a meta-organic experience is possible. That is to say that you can actually know what it feels like to be part of the whole planetary living system. Not only is it possible for you to feel it, but you can't avoid feeling it. It's happening all the time, all around you. Um, and the interesting thing is what you do with it. And instead of, of, of now he comes out of uh, uh, a number of, of um, important academic fields. He's a, he was director of uh, the Jungian Center in, in, um, in Switzerland. Um, he is a physicist. Um, and instead of creating a, a, uh, a sort of series of, of um, labels and, and etiquettes like many other similar uh, developmental models do, um, he applies a, a, a what we'll today call meta approach um, and avoids attaching value labels to things and instead observes um, the basic elements of what human awareness is about and makes these distinctions between uh, the ways in which we receive signal information. So signal theory is a really interesting part of this and he's basically saying that your senses being uh, visual, auditory, um, movement, uh, and then some others I'll come to in a minute, they, they all involve inner and outer experiences. So you can hear voices in your head, you can hear people speak to you, you can have pictures in your head, you can see things um, outside of you in the real world. Um, and, and these specific uh, a sense as he refers to as channels. So you receive things in a visual channel, you receive things in an audio channel or in a, um, a, a feeling channel. But he also speaks about the proprioceptive channel. Proprioception um, is the, you know, when you, if you trip um, and you fall forward uh, or backward, your body will respond in time so that you don't sort of smash your face on the pavement, or hopefully, um, but you don't have to think about it. Um, and formally, proprioception is, is the feeling of the body feeling itself. Um, and most often, it's unconscious, automatic, but can be a conscious experience. And then he points to this really, really interesting thing um, that he calls the world channel. So in the same way that we hear things, that there's an auditory channel, we experience the world as a signal in itself, often in different forms, different registers. So for example, in BNP, uh, points to isms, feminism, communism, capitalism. Uh, these are things that occur in the world channel that are far, far, far bigger than any individual person can process uh, in a complete and coherent way. Mm. And again, 
inner and outer uh, experiences. Now, the thing about the, the Mandel model is that um, he's suggesting that the stuff that we're aware of, um, that we are identified with, the conscious stuff, he calls a primary process. And then there's the stuff that we unaware of that um, generally is, is emergent in some other form and usually in a form that is difficult for some other reason. So for example, it's, it's, it's more noise than signal. Yeah? So you, you end up with, with pain, you get headaches, um, or uh, uh, you uh, put stuff down when you're not thinking. You know, where did you put your car keys? And you wander around looking for them endlessly. Who was it that put your car keys down? Um, can't remember, you know, um, where is it, et cetera, et cetera. And these are secondary processes, the stuff that's, that's outside of the boundary of conscious awareness. <clears throat> and using the, the language of, of, of the quantum wave uh, theory is looking at how um, the likelihood of emergent states um, can to some degree be predicted in which of these channels they're occurring and that is partly through noticing which of these channels are um, occupied and which aren't and noticing especially the forms of contradictory um, information, double messages. So when you get these... One more time. Yeah. So noticing double messages. So double messages is the, the um, saying yes uh, and, you know, I absolutely agree. Uh, couldn't agree more, um, you know, and... No, I don't want that. Yeah, exactly. I really, really don't want you to do that. <laughs> um, so typically these, these are described as, as edge behaviors. Can also involve giggling, uh, different body symptoms, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's this, uh, the, the, just, just to make it even more interesting, um, Mandel ties this up in a really interesting way with the concept of the dream body, that there's a, a, an aspect of our being that in the body is continuously dreaming. And I want to kind of focus particularly on this thing of embodiment since we're talking about the coronavirus and talking about a, a process that is at a world scale and that pretty much affects everybody on the planet. This is a really, really unusual, very clear thing, you know, that suddenly there's this light shining uh, to indicate where uh, everybody's got their uh, uh, dental problems. Mm. And everybody's got the dental problem. There's just, there aren't very many exceptions. So the embodied thing, um, you know, it is remarkable how in, for example, this, this climate change discussion, um, there's very little uh, sense that we are we, we're talking about something as if we don't depend on it. 
we're not sort of expressing the, the necessity of, of uh, physical, biological existence. Very rarely when we talk about climate, we tend to talk about how complex things are and we can't understand it and it's like this sort of um, hyper-objective reality that has so many uh, dimensions and forms, etc., etc., that uh, everybody agrees that it's too difficult for, for anybody to understand, but everybody's got an opinion. Um, about how it's supposed to be, and you politicize it and economize it and, uh, you know, turn it into different kinds of opportunity in education, in business, in agriculture. Um, and a lot of this stuff contains sort of obvious double messages, really uncomfortable stuff um, that gets suppressed. We don't really stop to think, but does that really make sense? Should we really be flying off to ski holidays just when you're going to have a, a pandemic? Um, no, it's not a good idea. Yeah, but I booked it, you know, such a long time ago, and I'm an adult, and freedom of movement, all this kind of stuff. And then pretty soon, all of that difficult stuff has been suppressed, and we, we're back at the, the surface primary identified state of awareness. Hmm? So when I look at these events around, um, around the coronavirus, um, I try to read off uh, what sort of things are happening from a process point of view. What are the, the suppressed messages? What's the stuff we're not putting on the front page? You know, like uh, my boy says, uh, yeah, um, funny, but there's no climate change on the front page since we got ourselves a virus. Um, yeah, okay, well, th that's really significant because that's really been on the front page very powerfully for a very, very long time. Uh, well, not a very, very long time, but a few years anyway. Um, that's been our primary focus. And then I mentioned some of these other oddities, uh, like the, the black swan idea that uh, the, the discussion is around economics, etc., etc. And, I mean, part of the, the, the strength of the process work method is that there's a, a distinct um, understanding of the value of not being caught up in content, so that it doesn't really matter what the numbers are, it doesn't really matter what country they happened in, but to try and sense, and especially uh, in the body, in your body, um, what happens for me when I look at the stuff and uh, to, to, to even allow myself to sense what's happening for other people. How do people respond? What do these things mean to them? And at what stages? Um, so we're, we're about seven weeks into this process. Um, and even a detail like that can seem quite astonishing. Um, because when people start to work through this stuff, um, there is this problem of amnesia that seems to be uh, very strongly experienced in, in, in the period that we're living in. So we don't remember SARS. We don't remember... Uh, uh, it, it was called swine flu. Swine flu. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're not things that we remember. And then you could talk to people about Ebola, but, you know, it's, it's the Africans. Um, they do Ebola. We don't do Ebola. It's not problematic for us, so don't worry about it. And, and very, very, very occasionally you might get somebody 
who happen to get off a plane that's in a Ebola uh, danger zone. But they generally get put in a room somewhere and then it goes away, you know, um, pretty soon. No problems, no problems. But suddenly, a problem. Um, you know, you've got uh, two cases and then suddenly there's 20 cases and then 20 cases is 180 cases and then it's uh, 350 cases. It's just a fuck, tsunami. Um, and what do we do? Well, we start going to buy stuff. Um, we start uh, building up our, our stores, you know, um, hamstring, they call it in Swedish. It's quite a sweet word that you uh, become a little hamster and go and do your thing. And there are a number of, of interesting um, double messages in this thing because if it is the case that you hamstring stuff because you're afraid of, of um, running out of food, uh, probably the reason why you're running out of food is because it, you've got a, a deeply seated fear of death. Um, if we start unpacking that fear of death, well, we can't really get away from the, the elephant car in the living room um, that we haven't switched off ever since the Industrial Revolution. Um, and it, it, it really upends uh, so many of our, our, our cultural uh, presumptions or assumptions. Um, it upends many of the values that sustain the idea of uh, the human or, or, or to, be, to be honest to that culture, man's dominance over nature. Because suddenly man, humanity, uh, seems very, very vulnerable. And the interesting part in this, notwithstanding all the suffering, is what is the emergent message? So when you deal with, with, with uh, for me, uh, as working with process work and working with, with um, physical symptoms, when you work with physical symptoms, there's, there's one of two options. You can either amplify it or you can, you can polarize it. Um, amplifying in the sense of, of make the symptom worse, um, and this is done in a, a, a in a mental state, so to speak, that um, through imagination, through uh, uh, exploring uh, pressure. If I have a pain in my knee, I can actually sort of stick my finger in it and feel more pain where it's where it's hurting. Um, and typically, uh, what will happen is a, is a series of of channel shifts um, from. Uh, feeling in the body to um, an image to uh, sound or whatever the case is and follow these things till I get to a point of, oh, okay, um, I've, um, I've put on so much weight that uh, my knees aren't holding up anymore. Um, it's kind of a, a gross oversimplification. There could be far more subtle information in that, like, for example, um, I've become so set in my ways that I can't, my flexibility is kind of under threat. I really have to uh, consider letting go of, of the, the decisions that I've made of how life works, etc., etc. Um, and this stuff is available 
um, to everybody's conscious awareness through being aware of primarily what's happening in your body and what's happening in the broader series of experiences around you. Personal experiences, cultural experiences, religious experiences, biological experiences. So if you think of, of the planet as a complete body, um, it actually makes noises. The planet does emit sounds, um, as does just about everything on the planet, um, emit some sort of sound. Uh, if you think about um, the emission of, of, of light, how the planet reflects light, that it can be seen from space, extremely beautiful. Um, if you think about how the planet feels, um, for example, we had, uh, uh, when I was a kid, the, the hole in the ozone was the big thing. Yeah? It actually let off so many, what were they called, CFC gases, mm. um, that a hole in the ozone had occurred. And, um, oh shit, what, what's the ozone? And there's a hole in it. We didn't even know we had one, but it's got a hole. Um, we don't really talk about the ozone anymore. Um, and I think the ozone is one of these things where we probably thought we got it right, we fixed it, you know. Big system engineering fix, yeah! Go be this. But here's a big, a big body, you know. So when Rachel Carson talks about the silent spring, um, it's wait, a wait, really... Wait. Who, who talks about what so, uh, way, way, way back, you know. Fifties. Um, uh, I think it was '69. She published this book called uh, "The Silent Spring." Um, she's called Rachel Carson, and this is one of these uh, sort of moments that um, sometimes gets mentioned as a, uh, a pivotal Start. moment in yeah. the environmental this. movement and so on. And yeah. the idea is that there just aren't any birds. So when spring comes around. Um, it's silent and there aren't any birds because of, of human environmental destruction. Yeah. Um, DDT. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so the, the, the point for me here is that the way in which we feel this body, uh, when we become aware of that there is this body that we ourselves find ourselves in, because we are part of a living, existing being, uh, this kind of Gaia idea. So we started having that discussion already uh, 60, 70 years ago um, in a formal way in the context and the, the culture that, we, that we're dealing with here. It's not at that stage entirely new. Uh, there's Walt Whitman before that. Um, there's... John Donne hundreds of years before that, um, you know, uh, it's been around, but nobody really takes it seriously because the other stuff is completely fascinating, completely identified with being rational, autonomous, economic man. We're going to do what it says in the Bible. We're going to lord over the earth, and it's going to deliver for us, and it has been, and it's been really good, you know. Um, Oh, sorry, the air isn't that good anymore, but um, let's not worry about that too much. 
then you know the this big body um, when you when you deal with uh, the human psyche expressed as uh, somatic form, you encounter things like addiction. <clears throat> so whether you're looking at 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 uh, the 12-step program for for um, what do you call it? Uh, Rehabilitation, yeah. or whether you're listening to uh, Gabor, Mate. Uh, Mate, what we're discussing really is what it feels like to be you as an addict. Hmm? What's your experience of existence that leads you to needing to have to basically kill the pain? You can't sort of deal with the the pain of existence. <clears throat> and there's a whole range of, of responses to this, and, and, and I think they're all quite valuable, but um, the environment is a really important part of it. What kind of environment are these people living in? Um, what sort of, of support do they get, et cetera, et cetera? Um, it's not a long stretch to imagine that the planet is in a similar state. Mm. So if you're going to smoke three packs a day, you may well, or two packs or whatever it is, um, there may well be consequences. You may well get sick, and nobody finds that strange. Nobody thinks it's funny that alcoholics get cirrhosis of the liver. Gee, that was your fault. Um, you should have thought of that. <laughs> um, so in a sense, uh, these kind of uh, uh, pandemic moments are for me a, a message of well, I'm trying to tell you something. This is your body speaking. And <clears throat> generally, when dealing with, with somatic symptoms, um, it's not as if we can get a headache and think, oh, my body's trying to tell me something. What's it saying? It's saying, uh, gee, you should do this or that or do less of this or that. Often, there are incredible resistances to receiving that information. Um, from a process work point of view, these are uh, edge states that we keep avoiding, we keep shifting channels. So if it comes up in the visual channel, uh, we go over to a movement channel or whatever the case is. You've got to go and get a bowl of chips or um, you know, <laughs> whatever it is you need to do to avoid confronting actually being who you are in the body that you have at the moment you are in, being present completely. COVID is one of those moments that works a little bit like um, life-threatening diseases generally do. You don't have an option. You either stop and shut the fuck up and actually listen to medical advice, uh, stop drinking, whatever the case is, but if you carry on doing it, you're probably going to pass out of existence pretty soon. The other reality is when you stop, it sure as fuck isn't going to be easy. Hmm. It's quite a way to recovery. And I think this plays a huge role in the, the collective unconscious at the moment that when people see what it's like to experience climate change mitigation, which is such a cool thing to do, um, 
it actually implies that 60% of the choice in your supermarket it's gone it's gone to Kansas man it's not going to be there that life becomes suddenly something that has to be experienced on a profoundly enriched inner level in order to be bearable you have to have relationships you have to have trust you have to be able to stand the insecurity and uncertainty of not knowing whether there will be food in the store next week and know that if you're going to rush and buy five of those things just to be sure you and the other thousand people that do that may well tip the system mm. so don't do it better you contact those other thousand people and say i'm fucking scared you know like uh, alcoholics do when they call their handlers and say, i need a drink you know this is what we need to do stop everything else I'm kind of reminded of um the uh Game of Thrones. Um there's this uh, event in the Game of Thrones they're going to confront these uh people behind the wall. Um the uh what are they called the White Walkers? Wildling, wildlings. No, the White the White Walkers, Night Walkers. Oh, the White yeah, the White Walkers. Yeah. White Walkers, yeah. So nobody's seen anything like this. They they're not susceptible to being killed because they already did and they're expanding in numbers <laughs> and they're heading for us and haha we've got this wall and they can't get beyond the wall and they've never gotten beyond the wall is not a problem um except that um one of these heroic events that happens earlier uh is that um the 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 hero queen um well she birthed a few let's, dragons. Let's uh, let's throw in a spoiler alert here for Helena who hasn't who's the only person in the world who hasn't seen the show. True. Yeah. True, true. Sorry, go on. So suddenly um the the unknown element that we know nothing about acquires a fucking mega weapon that makes them exponentially more powerful. Oh no. <laughs> What are we going to do now? We didn't have a strategy for them before, but now we seriously fucked. Uh right, COVID. Hello. Folks, if this is not the one, well then really just kind of the shortest little arc of history is telling you the fucking white walkers have got the weapon, okay? They probably got two. It's coming. it's inevitable mm. this is the message and it's not really that difficult to get it only has four letters the letters are s t o p stop whatever the fuck you're doing it's not that important the economy is not that important it is not that important it's a figment of your fucking imagination run wild as a projection on the body of existence to the point of destruction mm. you will choke yourself to death 
in the illusion of a big balloon of air. The message is stop. And probably we're going to keep doing this, you know, um, over and over again. And possibly uh, result in uh, situations where we do have a few hundred million deaths. And maybe COVID is the now third or fourth wave of pandemic viruses. We might be able to technologically contain it and keep the, 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 the economy going. Um, but eventually, we cannot suppress our own life processes without killing ourselves. You can't do it. You can't carry on drinking as an alcoholic and live the same life. That's not mm. possible. It will affect you. It will mm. in it the will end and mm. possibly kill you. So either mm. you wake up in the gutter and go, oh, fuck, I fucked my life up, and you start going to... to, to 12-step groups and you stop drinking but you feel pretty shit about yourself and everything that you've done and that becomes the primary sort of uh, uh, task of your life. And that probably is the primary task of uh, the, the generations that are alive today. Mm. And it's going to be that until all of these generations actually start working in coherent, cooperative ways like at the moment, um, we're, we're not flying anywhere. We're staying, we've skipped the Brian Adams concert. <laughs> Brian Adams, man, you know, really, just as an aside, isn't it wonderful that Scandinavia offers tour, tour possibilities, tour opportunities for, you know, um, pension Brian age Adams. rock stars? <laughs> <laughs> Status quo. I mean, they come. I've every completely year missed this. What, what is it? Brian Adams. Brian Adams. The summer of '69, man. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard the name. Well, it's okay. It's okay. You don't there are to... plenty of Swedes who who are going, or who were going. Yeah. To, to what? See him. Brian Adams concert. Where? Stockholm, Sweden. Malmö, and Yetaboria. Oh, sold okay. out. Mm. And they're all cancelled. Well, I don't know if they were all cancelled. The one in Malmö is cancelled anyway. Um, and you knew this because you have a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, I have a I'm lyric sheet that I was going to take with me to the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking a bit about our our one of our principles of of being because mm. we we sort of touched on on being Stop. and we've Stop Dominic don't touch your microphone it sends weird messages <laughs> That that reminds me Helena are you recording from the same are, are no. you recording from no. your headset No, no. thank you I have my little mic here. You can't oh, see great. it though. Yeah. We've touched upon one of our principles, which was ego, or we've deliberately, outspokenly 
talked about it. Um, I'm thinking a bit about one of the others, which is being. Um, which we've also touched upon, but not not outspoken, outspokenly, outspoken did. <laughs> we didn't say it out loud. No, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> you just wait. It's a little dicky, not dick. Little dicky. Little dicky. No, little dicky, not little. Lil. Lil. Lil Dicky. Lil. Lil Dicky. <laughs> okay, move on, Kevin. Move on. So do you Suck know the Lil Dick? Do you know who, who Tricky Dick is? <laughs> I know. He's my friend. I've no idea. Mm. Should I know? I don't know, you know. Um, <clears throat> he's one of those cultural reference points. Tricky Dick. Yep. Tricky Dick. Dick Nixon. Richard Nixon, President of the United States. Oh, Richard. Yeah, I I actually know of him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Tricky Dick. He's called Tricky Dick. Have you heard about Freaky? Freaky. (laughs) Okay. Can we sort of get to the point a little bit so that I can go and make dinner in, in a while? Explicit connections to being. What are you thinking, Caspian? Now I'm thinking, um, well, being might, might well be, be the solution here to the whole, I don't even want to call it a crisis, but the pandemic. Mm. Um, I, I reflected upon this while on the train today from, from Stockholm. I had five hours to myself. Um, and I, I started thinking about, you know, because I've lost a job now. Uh, just heard last week that, that one of my jobs got cancelled or it's not going to happen since it was a huge event. Um, and there's probably going to be more um, sort of um, effects on me and on, you know... Um, me as an individual, individual, and and my work life, and you know my personal economy, and and stuff like that. Um, and I started thinking about, you know, if circumstances change for me, if I start being more and start doing less, I actually need to spend less money. So I, I sort of started to think about, you know, the essentials. I need to pay my rent because I need somewhere to live, at least for now. Mm. Um, I need food. Mm. I need to pay my, my bills. But I mean, that's, that's about it. In my budget, I, I have a column that says fun things, which is, you know, Taking a beer with friends or, or when I want to treat myself a bit and eat some extra chocolate. That's a tenth of my budget that could just, you know, swoop away. Because I've, I've got books, plenty of books to read. I've, I've got Netflix. I've got, you know, YouTube. Uh, I've got you guys to talk to. 
So I don't need to grab that beer. Or I don't know, need to go on that road trip. Um, by just being, by doing less, I in turn have to, to do less. Um, and I think that's something that, that we as a society now can start reflecting upon. What do we need to do and what, what do we do when we are just being? How are we when we're being? Um, that's one of the, the big things I think uh, COVID could, could help us with. Because all of a sudden we get all of this spare time. I had a conversation with, um, I was at a, at a leadership course the, these past two days. Um, and the um, instructor, trainer, facilitator um, got his, we left Friday evening and there was a group supposed to arrive Friday evening, staying till Sunday evening. Uh, they canceled two hours before they were supposed to come or something like that. And he just said, well, well, you know, I got a bunch of spare time. Uh, and we talked a bit about it and he was like, yeah, of course it's hard financially, um, but we're kind of going to come up with a solution for that. And then I've got a whole weekend where I'm all by myself and he had this, you know, full... Uh, old type of, um, I don't know, kind of like a farm with sheep and, and uh, you know, all kinds yeah. of animals and they grow stuff themselves. He was like, I've got things to do here. I can just be. And he had all of this time throughout March to just be. And when you start looking upon it like that, when we start realizing that this is actually time given to us to be. The whole thing gets a lot less scary. For some. For some it gets super duper scary. Of course. Yeah. But I think that has to do with the question of who am I when I'm just being. Precisely. And, and I mean... Again, that's one of the things that sort of the economy, the way that we have set up society is, is that question has not been touched upon by, by that many people. It's a question that they've deliberately, like you say, they've channel switched. If that thought comes, ooh, I'll go and get myself a new dress, right? So, so I think that for me, it's the same. I've been blogging these past two days about just that. You know, my world is slowed down as the world is slowing down and I can just breathe and just be. But I would venture that many, many more probably feel total panic at that. Because who the fuck am I? I mean, I, I'm going through that because, you know, I'm, I'm sort of bouncing between these two ideas of either I let go and I start being 
or I go the complete opposite, ramp up and start doing stuff for people who are who, who can't do stuff right now. You know, either you're the consumer or you're the creator. And I think what a lot of people are going to do when they are just being is that they're going to consume a lot more. If you can't go to the store and buy that dress, you're going to watch another YouTube video. Or you're going to watch another Netflix show. Or you're going to read another blog post. I mean, that's, that's probably what all of us are going to do. Yeah, and then some people being, will also... being isn't... Certain, oh, sorry. Yeah, and some people will also take a longer walk. Uh, mm. Sit out in the garden and, and pull out some weeds and, and just soak up the sun. And, and pet the cat a little bit more. You know, it's like... Absolutely. We have all of it, but but I think what you're... I mean... Again, this sort of ramped up system that we're living in with, with sort of, there's so much energy in flux that just letting that sink, sort of a shock to the system. That will have people going into PTSD just because shit, it's not up there anymore. It's like, Right? Is this the way it looks, the way it sounds? I heard, I was listening to a podcast the other day, they'd taken out sort of inner city kids into the forest because they were doing an overnight thing. They had to get half of those kids back home again because they were just terrified. It's like, they're sounds! It's like, shit! And it's pitch dark! It's like, ugh! So they had half a half a group of just pure terrified kids because they have no reference. They have no reference points within them on on how to anchor that. Where where am I here? It's like shit. Absolutely. And horror. I think the exact same thing would happen if you took adults and did the same thing. Most likely. And at the same time, it's like, that is the opportunity, right? Mm, what if, it's like, I have no clue, but, but what if humans are actually also totally capable of picking up on the fact that there was an earthquake 24 hours ago and there's a big fucking wave coming somehow? in all of these channels that we have, right? If animals can do it, we're an animal, sort of, you know? It's like, but we've, we've shut down, barred it up, sort of, you know, brick walls and, and sort of, it's somewhere, but I have no way in, or it has no way out, perhaps more likely. That's the opportunity as well, isn't it? Sort of, what happens if I just am? Well, that again depends on the the result you're looking for. I mean, if if you as a person are looking for development and growth and and 
exploring something new within yourself, exploring what it would be like to, to pick up on that kind of transmission. Sure as hell, it's, it's an opportunity. But if, if you're not even willing to, if someone would come up and say to you, hey, this is what you could experience, um, I could help you get there. They punch you in the no, face and interested. run away, screaming, yeah. he's dangerous. Yeah, well, I mean, that's... Yeah, but that's, that's actually quite a valid response, yeah. if that's the <laughs> level of, yeah. of uh, your, your awareness yeah. and your existence. Yeah, precisely. Um, mm. Absolutely. And finding, in some way, uh, strategies to compassionately include the reality that there are many people on the planet for whom these are extremely traumatic moments. Exactly. I mean, one of the things I thought of is that uh, it, there's this kind of a truism in process-oriented group work that the person with the most awareness um, is the leader at any time. And that that, that it role shifts. shifts quite a lot, yeah. So in the middle of a situation like this, who has the most awareness? Who knows what it feels like when it's really fucked, when there really isn't very much uh, in terms of resources, options, strategies, um, they're not that available. Um, spontaneously, things that come up for me are um, the USSR, 1992, complete collapse, uh, Ethiopia, um, and Eritrea, Somalia, these uh, kind of situations where, I mean, no, people don't have enough food, not for this day, this week, or the next month. No fucking clue uh, and complete trust that... What I need to do is to keep following my process. I need to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, and somehow understanding that, uh, um, you know, when, when you're meeting someone uh, in your direct environment in the Western uh, developed so-called um, context, and this person says, oh, I'm really freaked out. They don't have toilet paper at the local, you know. Um, well, those fear responses um, exist at a level that is dramatically lower. The threshold is much, much, much lower than somebody who, for example, survived a famine in Ethiopia in the 80s. Um, maybe that's a place to look for <laughs> some guidance and awareness, you know, that uh, what do you do in those situations? I suspect a lot of those people are going to say, uh, just sit the fuck down. Don't panic. Don't waste too much energy. Um, and uh, by the way, uh, philosophy is a is a kind of luxury you don't have. But I'm thinking also in terms of what you were saying about your your budget, that our our economic worldview. Um, this kind of encompassing, justifying reason um, is so interesting that uh, when, we, when we budget 
um, we have these things called budgets. Um, the whole process of budgeting fits into this, uh, our model of ego, yeah? Um, so this is my autonomous control over my resource base, yeah? Now, in that uh, uh, perspective, very, very rarely is there a moment where we reflect on the fact that um, our resource base includes uh, a limited number of breaths during our life. We don't have an item on the budget where it says fun things. Uh, we don't say meet with Helena. It says $3,000. <laughs> yeah, you see where I'm going is like there's a there's a an underlying value system um, that is performative. I mean, we actually physically, emotionally embody a world in which we can say, um, "I've put aside this money so that I can be myself, so that I can enjoy myself." And in principle, everybody around you agrees that that's a good strategy. That's a good thing to do. It's kind of adult, you know. Um, so when we when we back that up into into being, um, you know, I've, I've I think I've been alive about nineteen thousand days. <gasps> oh fuck, you know, um, and I'm not going to be alive for another nineteen thousand days. So what's the budget perspective on that? What am I going to do with that? How do I uh, actually make a point of, of being uh, present to my life um, rather than planning it? Um, and how do I do that in a way that actually respects the fact that it is a painful, traumatic experience to be in this world, COVID or not, and have a relationship with myself. And thinking along those lines, um, this process of, of having a, 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 an experience of being you, yeah, um, I think you were saying that there was these these two options, um, but neither of those options really are you. They are projections. And what happens in uh, the process of, of, of inner work, for example, um, whether you're doing meditation, uh, the whole point of, of Zen, Koans, uh, the idea of the Buddha by the roadside, um, is is getting to this threshold of your identity, stepping through into your secondary process, the stuff that seems to be happening to you from the outside world, that's actually a, a reflection of your own projection, and beyond that, getting into contact with that be that is the witness that is 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 witnessing your existence that you cannot really call Dominic Helena La Caspian because the experience of consciousness is uh, without attachment to anything whatsoever. 
it's a, it's a, it's a pure experience. It's a um, a state uh, that, as soon as you choose one or the other, um, that's it. Then you lost it. Then you have to reapply yourself to be present and in the now. Um, but uh, uh, Helena, in, in in your sense of um, can these things be done? Are these things available to humans? Yes, they are. Um, they absolutely are. But as we know from experience, when you force people to do these things, um, more than likely the result is not good. It has to be some uh, congruent, coherent part of individual experience to say, well, I'm actually going to do that thing. And the only exception is when there are these uh, evolutionary um, turning points where you cannot continue, cannot continue drinking because you'll get cirrhosis of the liver and die. Hmm. You cannot continue smoking because you've already got uh, emphysema or whatever. Um, so instead of your, you know, 30,000 days on the planet, um, we're going to cut back to 21. <laughs> and you currently at <laughs> 20,500, so you've got 500 days left. What do you want to do, carry on smoking or do you want to wake up? Well, a lot of people are not going to want to wake up. They don't want to. It's too painful an option. It's like a kind of pre-traumatic stress. They don't want to take the trauma of being alive. They want to take the trauma of, of um, coming into being. Because everybody knows that that, it, that implies that something has to die. Something has to be let go of. I cannot continue being the thing that I've convinced myself that I am. And this is revealed, I think, Caspian, in these moments where um, your course leader uh, is not in this problem. There's a dramatic shift, but the, the ground is still the same stable ground. I'm going to go and take care of my animals or, you know, um, there's stuff for me to do. But if that's not the, the case for you, well, then there's a big chasm there, and that's really traumatic. That's really fucking scary. Mm. And the typical painkiller is, yeah, another series or, yeah, spend some money. Oh, we've, we don't have money anymore. Um, and the shopping center is closed. Well, I think on that subject, uh, in Sweden this week, they announced that the police are now allowed to use tear gas. Really? Just kind of pass by under the radar. Oh. What the fuck? Yeah. Why? Well, because uh, they say that it's a much less violent way of dealing with uh, unruly crowds than the tools that we had previously. You know, when we will all be marching downtown in search of toilet paper. That's my point. Yes. That collectively yeah. these traumas are really, really big. They, yeah. they take on tsunami forms. Yeah. So? So that means we have to stack sandbags in order for it to become more of a rising water yeah. uh, problem. And stacking sandbags for me means talk to people, talk to everybody that you know, literally, 
everybody that you know, hi, um, geez, you know, I've been having these thoughts. Mm. 